0: Precious Heavenly Father, we thank You for this beautiful day that we have to come and worship You, to worship You because You are our Lord, You are our Savior. We have so much to be thankful for, so much to worship You for. So Lord, I pray that right now as we gather together to to open Your Word and to to ask You to, to teach us through Your Word, I pray that You would open our hearts and open our minds open the the eyes of our hearts to understand and apply your truths to our words to grow in our obedience to you as we've gathered here today to study the word and to be encouraged father we thank you for this time that we have to slow down to remove the distractions from our lives and to gather around this precious word that stands true and has always stood the test of time and always will So, Lord, teach us, speak to us, work in our hearts today. And may You convict us of sin in our lives that needs to be confessed and righted with You. May You build us up and make us the church that You want us to be, that truly loves You with everything that we have and loves people because of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians, chapter 1, together. Our last time together, we saw what a joy it is to be reconciled by Christ to God, reconciled because of the finished work of Christ on our behalf. It's a wonderful gift, reconciliation. Accomplishing for us what we could not accomplish ourselves. We were, as verse 21 says, once hostile toward God. We were once doing evil deeds. We were once, as a result of those hostilities and evil deeds toward God, we were once alienated from God. But if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are now reconciled. And being reconciled to God means that Jesus Christ has saved you. And He makes you right with God and He presents you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. Is there anything that could be better than that? What joy we ought to experience because of the reconciliation worked by Jesus Christ, reconciling us to God. We noted last time that as a result of those who are reconciled to God, as a result, those who are reconciled, they persevere in the faith. Because it's a work that God has done in you. It's not something that you have done. It's not something that I have done. Nothing we can do makes us right with God. Jesus Christ does that. And those who are reconciled will persevere. And an outworking of our faith results in bearing fruit, fruit in good works. As Paul prayed would be true of the Colossian believers back in verse 10. We also learn that those who are reconciled now have the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. Those who are saved now have the responsibility of proclaiming the reconciliation to others. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, that's your ministry. That's my ministry. We have that in common. We are to be, I think as I said last week, reconciliation proclaimers, right? Or proclaimers of the reconciliation. We're to be telling people the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we're in this together and we love God and we love people because we are reconciled to God by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we are reconciled to serve. You know that you have been saved to serve. Do you know that you've been reconciled so that you will serve God? There's a great joy in being reconciled, and there ought to be great fruit in being reconciled also. Because of our reconciliation, and one of those fruits ought to be our being uh, in our reconciled to God ought to be our being. for the lost and concerned for others and sharing the gospel and that reconciliation of Jesus Christ with others. We are reconciled to God. We are saved to serve. And what Paul says to the Colossian believers in verses 24 and 25 is, is a great help to us in understanding what our service for God's glory ought to look like. If I'm saved to serve, what will my service for God's glory look like? You need to know what your service for God's glory ought to look like. Let's look together at verses 24 and 25 this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Now I rejoice, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. You know, there are some great examples of service in the world today. There are many, many people who serve and give of themselves for the good of others. There are great examples of service in God's Word, aren't there? As you look through God's Word, you find great examples of service and servanthood. Today, I'm kind of thinking of an example of service that's pretty hard to match. We find that example in the service of our mothers, don't we? And as we honor our mothers today, and I know that many of you will talk to your mothers, maybe in person, maybe by phone, and if you can still do that, you better do that today, right? Talk to your moms and tell them how grateful you are for their goodness toward you. And the fact that you're still alive is a good sign that your mom was good to you, right? You know, I put my mom through the ringer. The fact that I lived through it is a good sign of her grace toward me. I'm thinking of my mother today and her selfless acts of service for my brothers and my sister and myself over the years. My mother always worked very hard to help my father provide for our family. She did the usual kinds of things that aren't really, you know, you don't ever want to say, "Oh, you just, she just does the normal kinds of things that a mom does because those those should not be taken for granted. But I say that she did the usual kinds of things like, you know, preparing meals and making sure that we had lunch when we went to school. And she mended our clothing. She even went even further. Lots of times she made our clothing for us, and and she did that very well. My mother also often worked a part-time job or a full-time job when my younger brother and I were in grade school. And then after a few years of grade school, my parents took us out of the public school and sent us to a Christian school. And to help pay the bill, my mother taught in that Christian school. I don't, I don't think she ever received a dime for the work that she did at that Christian school, but her work paid for our tuition. And so for, from, grade, from older grade school ages, for my younger brother and junior high for me on, uh, through those years of schooling, my mom worked hard to pay the bill for our schooling so we could have a Christian education. I'm so thankful for that. My mother sacrificed for me and, and my brother and, and uh, sister And I'm so grateful for that. If you have a mom like that, and I'm I'm guessing you probably do, you have a great example of servanthood, don't you? And like the service modeled by our mothers, those who are followers of Christ are called to be servants also. We are reconciled to serve. We are saved to serve. As followers of Christ, those who are reconciled to God, as those who are saved to serve, I want you to notice three things about your service for God's glory. Three things today I want you to see about your service for God's glory and, and, and what your service for God's glory ought to look like. Here's the first thing you should notice about serving for God's glory. First of all, service involves, and you're not going to like this, but service involves suffering. All right? Look at verse 24 again. note what Paul says in verse 24, and mothers can identify with service involving suffering, right? Notice what Paul says in verse 24, and this may seem like an unusual statement. He says in these first few words, now I rejoice in my sufferings. Well, he suffered. <laughs> That's apparent. But what's unusual is the fact that he rejoiced in his sufferings. Paul was suffering for the cause of Christ. Christ we saw during our study in acts some of the mistreatment that paul endured for the name of christ some of it very brutal but what is paul saying how how could he possibly rejoice in his suffering isn't it a lot easier for us to suffer in our suffering you know it's hard to rejoice in your suffering how can paul rejoice in suffering and and how can we rejoice in suffering i, I see two things that paul had right in in his suffering, in, in his joy and suffering. And we need to get these right as well if we're going to learn to suffer for God's glory with joy. Because you can suffer, and you can do it without joy. Or you can suffer for God's glory with joy. And we need to know how to suffer for God's glory with joy. And there are two things that I see here that Paul got right, and we need to get these right Two things made it possible for Paul to suffer for God's glory with joy. And if we get these right, I think we too can learn to suffer for God's glory with joy. First, suffering for God's glory involves perspective. The right perspective. Perspective. With the right perspective, you can rejoice in your sufferings. And you might argue with me about that, but I can argue back because I believe it's true. With the right perspective, you can rejoice in your sufferings. You know, don't you, that you can suffer for the wrong reasons, right? Some of us have suffered for the wrong reasons. Many of us, because of our sin, right? We've suffered for the wrong reasons. You could suffer for doing wrong, and there is no joy in that. 1 Peter 4.15 makes it clear that God's children should not be involved in things that lead to suffering for the wrong reasons. 1 Peter 4.15 says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or or an evildoer or a meddler. And you look at that verse and you go, Well, I'm not in bad shape then. I'm alright. I shouldn't be suffering. And you say, Well, you know, I'm no murderer, right? I'm no thief. I'm no evildoer. But wait. Doesn't God's Word say that we are evildoers? Doesn't God's Word say that if we think evil toward those... You know, toward those others. So you, you think evil toward your brother. You're as guilty as a murderer. We do think evil at, at times, don't we? We do think the wrong things at times. We do say the wrong things at times. And we do do the wrong things at times. And then there's this meddler mentioned at the end of that verse in 1 Peter 4.15. And I, when I thought of that, I had to think of this verse in Proverbs 26.17 that when I came across I remember coming uh, reading it and I may have read it before but it just struck me funny and I kind of laughed when I read this verse in Proverbs 26:17 it says whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears what happens if you take a strange dog by the ears he bites your nose right whose fault is that yours if you grab a strange dog by the ears and he bites your nose he's only doing what's natural right that's your fault And there is no joy in suffering for the wrong reasons, is there? There can be joy for suffering for the right reasons, right? And that's where the right perspective comes in. Think about the passing dog. If I go outside and I find one of my children being attacked by a ferocious dog and I fight the dog and in the process I'm badly injured myself, but I rescue my child from serious harm, possibly even death, I can rejoice in my suffering, (laughs) Because I saved my child right so I contend that there is the possibility that you can rejoice in your suffering if you're suffering for the right reasons if you're suffering with the right perspective and if you're suffering for God's glory now, if we keep reading in first Peter chapter 4 verse 16 tells us why we can have joy in suffering for the right reasons how can we have the right perspective in our suffering verse 16, and 1 Peter 4 says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. You know, we have a unique name as followers of Christ. We, we call ourselves Christians. That's a, that's a unique name, isn't it? And he says here in verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, because of Christ, Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. You ought to glorify God in your suffering, right? And I think you can. I know you can if you do it with the right perspective. And if you do it for God's glory. The right perspective in suffering for the believer is this. Here's how to get the right perspective in suffering. My suffering is for God's glory. My suffering is for God's glory. I suffer if I suffer because I'm a Christian. If I suffer for the name of Christ and I suffer for God's glory, you could suffer because you are a Christian and you could suffer with the wrong attitude and not do it for God's glory. But if you suffer because you are a believer in Jesus Christ and because you live for Christ and you suffer with the right attitude, the suffering that you suffer is for God's glory. In handling it properly, it is completely for God's glory. God is glorified when you face suffering and hardship because of the name of Christ, and you do so with the right attitude, with the right perspective. I want you to remember 1 Corinthians 10.31 that teaches that whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I'm kind of paraphrasing it and putting it on myself, whatever I eat, whatever I drink, whatever I do, whatever I say, wherever I go, anything, anything I suffer, I can do all for the glory of God. And that includes suffering for the right reason, for God's glory. Paul says later in the book of Colossians, where we're studying, he says later in chapter 3, verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Your suffering with joy, your suffering with the right perspective, the right attitude brings great glory to God. So what does the right perspective look like when it comes to suffering for God's glory? Well, you know, it may be that in the workplace you make it your practice to do everything you can, even going above and beyond what's required of you, and you do so because that's what God expects of his children, to work hard, to do what's expected of them and more for God's glory. And in the workplace, your coworkers ridicule you and mistreat you, and you find out that they falsely accuse you behind your back, and then you realize that your supervisor passed you over last month for promotion because you're not a team player. Can you do your work? Can you serve God in that situation and suffer with joy for God's glory? Yes, you can. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I read recently of a real-life situation like this. A Christian young man who worked for several years as a mechanic in an auto repair shop he was he was a believer who felt he his job was an important one, even though he was you know we somebody might say well he was only a mechanic, but he felt like he was a believing mechanic and he could witness for Christ in that job and he did and he worked with everything that he had he gave it his all and he worked very hard he often worked much harder than anyone else in the shop and completed his task with much more efficiency than than many of the people in his shop. And for years, while working and living his faith in Christ, and, and though he worked harder than any other man in the shop, he was never promoted. He was never given an increase in pay for many years. And yet, through all those years, he did his job without complaint. Now, he could have complained. He had good reason. But he chose not to. He wanted to be a witness. He suffered with joy for God's glory. And one day, the owner of the company called him, and the owner lived in another city, and he actually owned several auto repair shops, and he had never met the owner. The owner called and told him he appreciated his hard work. And he told him that he was actually getting out of the auto repair business. He was going to retire and he just told him that he wanted him to have the shop where he worked and the mechanic kind of humbly answered and said well thank you I'd love to have the shop where I work I just can't afford to buy it and the owner said no you don't understand I have all the money I need I want to give you the shop I want it to be yours I don't need any more money and so this simple humble faithful servant of Christ who endured hardship and suffered for many years was promoted from the bottom of the company to the top of the company in a matter of moments because God rewards those who are faithful to Him. God cares for those who will suffer with humility and humbly suffer for God's glory with joy. Now, you may never have a story like that to tell, but you can, as the early church did in Acts 5.41, rejoice that you are counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name If you are counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus Christ, for the name of being a Christian, that's a privilege. And you can suffer with joy because you know your reward is great in heaven. And though you may never see a reward here, you know that God gets glory now. And you can rejoice in your sufferings and you can do so knowing that suffering produces endurance as Romans 5.3 says and you can do so for God's glory. You can endure hardship and suffering with joy if you are suffering for the right reason and with the right perspective and doing so for God's glory. There's a second thing that Paul got right and we need to get right if we're going to learn to suffer for God's glory with joy. First, suffering for God's glory involves perspective. The right perspective. Second, Suffering for God's glory also requires that you suffer for the right purpose. For the right purpose. What purpose might there be to allow you to suffer with joy? I see two reasons, two purposes that we might have joy in our sufferings for God's glory. First of all, Paul's words indicate the first as being suffering for others. Suffering for others. Again, look at verse 24 where Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. For your sake. How might we suffer for other believers? Well, I think we see the answer in what Paul says, partly in what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you were here in our Sunday school hour, we looked at this passage this morning and in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1-4, through four, where it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affliction and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So how do you suffer? With joy? For other believers? For God's glory? Well, I think according to Philippians 2, verses 1-4, through you work to become one with your brothers and sisters in Christ by becoming of the same mind. It takes some work, doesn't it? You put away rivalry. You put away conceit. You put yourself away. You work to have a real love for one another. You work to consider others above yourself. You look out for the interests of your brothers and sisters in Christ above your own interests. So one purpose we see here from Paul is suffering for others. And when you do this for God's glory, you can do so with joy. There's another purpose I see in Paul's encouragement to the Colossian believers for suffering with joy. Paul says in verse 24 that he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, how could there be anything lacking in Christ's afflictions? Does that phrase, if we isolate that phrase, that seems strange, doesn't it? Wasn't Christ's sacrifice on the cross sufficient? Absolutely. Wasn't it finished at the cross? And we might think at first that Paul is saying that there was something lacking in Christ's afflictions, but he isn't. Here's why. Look again at, the, at what Paul says in verse 24. In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is, the church. You see, Paul's perspective was that he was suffering for the sake of the church. And that's what he means here when he says he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Do you remember back in Acts? Maybe you remember back in Acts when we saw that Paul was brutally pursuing Christians persecuting the church. You remember how he pursued Christians, persecuted them, and made them suffer? Now he says he is suffering for the church. He's doing everything within his power with the help of God's empowering to advance the cause of Christ. And the church is is growing. And there are new churches where there would not have been had it but been for Paul's labors and suffering for the church. There were churches growing and spreading the gospel where there had not been before. And so he's, he says, I'm suffering now for the church. He wasn't building himself up. He was just trying to help the Colossian believers to see that they needed to do likewise. Now how do we do likewise? How do we suffer for the sake of the body of Christ, the church? Well, you know, we may not face persecution like some in the world today are. You know that there are believers all over the world today suffering very, very severe persecution for naming the name of Christ. And I have to say that we have it very easy. We have it very easy. So how do we suffer for the sake of the body of Christ, the church, today? How can you and I do that? Well, I think if you give of your time, if you give of your time, if you give of your resources giving from God's provision in your life, if you minister in this church and to others in this community to advance the cause of Christ, you give of yourself. You work hard to advance the cause of Christ. And if you give it your all, I think you'll find that there are times when you do suffer for the cause of Christ. You know, don't you, that when you give yourself, I mean, really give yourself, for the sake of the good news, the gospel, it costs you something. It costs you something, doesn't it? Those who teach God's Word, those who teach Sunday school, those who teach uh, Bible lessons or lead Bible studies, and I can attest to studying hard and working hard and studying to prepare to, to deliver messages and lessons and to de- deliver spiritual food to God's people. There's a lot of effort in that. And, and I can even contend that there's probably suffering in that. And those of you who do that know you pay a price, don't you? Those who work to maintain this beautiful piece of property, this building that we enjoy. Those who came before us over the many years behind us, over 50 years we've been here. And in those 50 years, many, many people have given of themselves and given themselves to this work so that we could be here preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in the year 2007. There are those who deal with the finances and those who deal with administrative issues and those who plan and prepare and work in every area of the church. And and you know that it costs you something, doesn't it? When you give yourself to the work of the church, to advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ, it costs you something. But you do it because you love God, don't you? And you do it because you love people. And you want more people to love God. And though it costs you something, there is a God-given reward and there is a God-given comfort and joy. And though you suffer for the sake of the body of Christ, the church, you have a comfort and you have a joy in your suffering that comes from God. And that's a common bond that you share with your brothers and sisters in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We are saved to serve. And our service and our suffering is for the building up of the body of Christ, is for the building up of one another so that we can promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that more people will be one to Christ. Ephesians 4.12 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. We work together, don't we? And my role as a pastor, that Ephesians 4.12 is kind of part of my job description, to help equip the saints, to help equip you for the work of ministry. Who does ministry? You do. I'm a part of that, but without you, the ministry doesn't happen. And so we work together and we suffer together, and yet we experience great joy together, don't we? That's a common bond we have that we share in Christ. Which brings us to the second thing I want you to see today about serving for God's glory. I want you to note this, that service is a stewardship. Service is a stewardship. There's a stewardship of service that we've been given by God. I want to read the verses again, starting with verse 24. Colossians 1, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church, And then verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Our service is a stewardship. And what does that mean? Well, the King James Version, in the King James Version, the word used is dispensation. In the NIV, the word is commission. In the Greek, it referred to one who was a house steward, one who was a caretaker of of the house. In In the Greek, it referred to one who was a house steward. Paul says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. His stewardship is from God. He says he's been commissioned with a great responsibility. If it comes from God, it's important, isn't it? His is an important stewardship. He's been given by God. And I want you to note about this stewardship that there's what I call this. There's a vertical relationship and there's a horizontal relationship in this stewardship, the vertical relationship in stewardship is that that Paul's stewardship was from God. Okay, this stewardship comes from God. This is critical. This is important. This isn't something to be taken lightly. God's entrusted us with a stewardship. Paul has a stewardship given to him by God, and our stewardship is also a stewardship from God. It's a responsibility from God. Our service in the work of the gospel is given by God, and as such, we are accountable to God for our service or lack of sin. Ephesians 3.2 says this. It's a reminder that our stewardship is from God. Ephesians 3.2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And those last two words, for you, point us to the horizontal relationship in this stewardship of service. The horizontal relationship is that this stewardship is for others. And that's just what Paul says in verse twenty five, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. You see, our stewardship to God is to benefit, is for the benefit of others. Our service of stewardship of service that we have is for the benefit of others. And how do we know when our stewardship of service from God is being worked out for the good of others? I want you to look at the rest of the verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Here's the third truth about serving for God's glory. Service declares the gospel. Your service declares the gospel. We can know that our service is, is for the good of others when it declares the gospel. If your service declares the gospel, it is for God's glory. First Timothy four six is a reminder of what the results of declaring the gospel look like. First Timothy four six says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. You see, service declares the gospel. That's why we serve. That's why we minister as a church. That's why we're here. We want to learn to be declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ to, to a world that's lost and dying. Our service should declare the gospel. In Galatians 2.7, Paul says that he and Peter had been entrusted with the gospel. And we as followers of Christ have been entrusted with the gospel. We've been entrusted with a great, a great responsibility. And we have been entrusted with a stewardship of service that demands that we declare the gospel. It's not a stewardship to declare our good works. You know, it's not a stewardship for us to go out in the community and say, look how good we are. Higgins Lake Baptist Church, you know, get to know us. We're good people. We do good things. We're to declare the gospel. We do good things so that the gospel is declared. And so that people know that Jesus Christ is real and He is alive and He is at work in us, making us Christ-like. We have a stewardship to declare the Gospel with our very lives. So I ask you this morning, does your life declare the Gospel? Is your faith in Jesus Christ visible to those who know you? Well, we've seen Paul's service For the Lord and we've seen what our service should look like and I can think of no better way to honor your mother than to serve the Lord I think that's what my mom meant when she said just be good she wanted me to serve the Lord I often tell my children know God's word obey God's word if you know God's word and you obey God's word your life will declare the gospel amen Yes, your service to the Lord as God's child will involve suffering. But you can still serve with joy. You can still serve with joy. If you serve with the right perspective, if you have the right purpose. And never forget that you are entrusted with the stewardship of service from God for the benefit of others. And your service benefits others most when it declares the gospel. Declare the gospel with your life. Let's pray and ask God for his help in that. Father in heaven, we come before you right now. And I pray that as our heads bowed before you, so our heart would be bowed before you. Our life would be yielded to you. God, I pray that we would be yielded to the work that the the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Father, Your your truth is so powerful. And the Gospel is so helpful to us. And we have been entrusted with such a, a wonderful privilege to be proclaimers of this beautiful truth that You've given us. Lord, help us to Leave this place today with a, with a new resolve to allow our lives to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, to give ourselves to serving you, to serving the good of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the lives of men and women and children, people who need the Lord, people who are lost in sin, people who were once like we were before we came to a saving faith in Christ. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to be the kind of church that brings you glory upon glory upon glory and points to you in all that we do and say, in the way that we do our work, in the way that we do with your ministry. Father, I pray that you would help us to be yielded to you today. Challenge our hearts to be Christ-like in all that we do and say, laboring for the good of others, for the good of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.